Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Okay. Case 11, Zhao Zhou discovers the hermit, or excuse me, discerns the hermits. Uh, Zhao Zhou went to a hermit's place and asked, is there, is there? The hermit held up his fist. Zhao Zhou said, shallow water is not a place to dock a big ship, and he left. Zhao Zhou went to another hermit's place and asked, is there, is there? The hermit also held up his fist. Zhao Zhou said, able to give, able to take, capable of killing and capable of saving. He made obeisance. And um, I want to do one. This is the definition. I didn't know what obeisance was. I was thinking of like obsciences but it's, it's a respect, uh, expression of respect. Did, you, did everyone know that except for me? Oh, okay. So anyway, that's that. So we'll sit for five minutes. Who'd like to read the koan again and then a woman's comment? I'll read. Oh, great harmony. The same page? Yes, read the same page and then the next one. Oh, gotcha. How do I pronounce the name of this person? Zhao Zhou. What is it? Zhao Zhou. Zhao Zhou. Zhao Zhou went to a hermit's place and asked, is there, is there? The hermit held up his fist. Zhao Zhou said, shallow water is not a place to dock a big ship and left. Zhao Zhou went to another hermit's place and asked, is there, is there? The hermit also held up his fist. Zhao Zhou said, able to give and able to take, capable of killing and capable of saving. He made an obeisance. Thank you. <laughs> Both raised their fists. Why is one affirmed and the other denied? Tell me, where is the fault? If you can utter a turning word here, then you can see that Zhao Zhou's tongue has no bone in it. He can hold, hold up and put down freely. While this is so, these two hermits have also exposed Zhao Zhou. 
they saw right through him. If you can say that one hermit was better than the other, you cannot you do not have the eye to investigate and learn. If you say there is no better or worse, you also do not have the eye to investigate and to learn. Eyes like shooting stars, conditions like lightning, the blade that kills, the sword that brings life. that. <laughs> so we'll sit now for five minutes and then I'll ring the bell and then we'll write for five minutes. Now we'll write for five minutes. So we'll read in alphabetical order. I guess it's Donna, Gail, Kim, Har Donna, Gail, Harmony, Kim, Nancy, Peg, Stephanie. Right. And we start with Gugu's comment. Okay. Right? Yeah. I'm not hearing you, Donna, but is that my problem? Uh, no, I hadn't started yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I can. Okay. Uh, Guogu's comment. This is another case invoking, involving Zhao Zhou. Here we meet him during his years of sojourning to various places to sharpen his understanding of Chan. After his teacher, Nanquan, had passed away. In this story, there is something extraordinary in his confrontation with these hermits. Jiaozhou lived at a time of great turmoil, of political persecution of Buddhism, of burning of temples, a destruction much greater than what Tibet has witnessed in the 20th century. He lived at a time when Buddhism was practically wiped out. All the monasteries were destroyed. Monks were laicized. Is that how you say that? Oh. What does that know. mean? I don't know what it means. It means they've been turned into lay people. They were no longer ordained. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. People fled. That is one of the reasons Zhao Zhou was so sojourning in the mountains during that time of upheaval and persecution. He spent 20 years visiting different teachers who had fled to the mountains to hide and live as hermits. They'd been forced to give up their monastic vows. 
Although many of the doctrinal schools of Buddhism basically collapsed, Chan flourished because Chan monks adapted. They survived and continued to deepen their practice. Their influence became far reaching. When the next emperor came to revive Buddhism, Chan came back with great force. So these hermits had been uh, our Buddhists. Yeah. Okay, that helps. Yes, they had been teachers. Any situation is an opportunity to practice, even people who persecute you. The wonderful thing is to live freely in all situations. People provide you with opportunities to cultivate patience and compassion. They serve as a mirror to expose your vexations, limitations, anguish, and shortcomings. Zhao Zhou embodies the spirit of Chan and teaches you that in your moderate context, you are facing the same situations as he was. Another extraordinary fact about Zhao Zhou is how he approached life. In his discourse record, his teachings are always succinct to the point. One can see that in his sojourning, when learning from different masters, he always cuts to the chase. Is there, is there, is there what? Is there anyone there? He is referring to something much deeper and what matters most in your practice, your realization. <coughs> Have you realized your original nature? that which is free from vexations, limitations, anguish, and shortcomings. Imagine that you are home meditating, practicing in your heart. A guy barges in the door shouting, is there, is there? Do you know what he's asking? Otherwise you could have said, did you knock? Is there tea? Yes, I have tea. You know exactly that Zhao Zhou is asking if you have realized what is most important to a practitioner? Have you realized who you are? For one who has had an awakening, practice is not over and self-grasping is not completely gone. No, continued practice is necessary because self-attachment will reemerge. Self-attachment is like having sunburned skin. When it manifests, you immediately know and it doesn't feel good. Zhao Zhou had practiced for 40 years and still needed to study with other teachers to deepen his practice. If you have had an experience of awakening and continue to practice, you will be very sensitive to your own vexations when they arise. You will know when the self is present and also when it is present in others. If people don't practice, they will not be sensitive to this. When Chan practitioners meet, at least in Zhao Zhou's case, they don't go through the usual formalities of, hello, my name is so-and-so, I'd like to study with you. Perhaps we can exchange some ideas. Zhao Zhou just opened the door and said, is there? The Chinese phrase here is, yomo, yomo. In Chinese, this has the flavor of have it or don't have it, exist or not exist, present or absent. In Chinese, you don't need a subject. Verbs can stand alone as a complete sentence. Very often, in classical Chinese language, a very beautiful language, the subject is absent. 
Imagine growing up in this linguistic environment in which you don't even have to think about I all the time. So when Jojo asked the first tournament, <coughs> excuse me. So when Jojo asked, the first tournament responded with a fist. Jojo said, shallow water is not a place to dock a big ship. What is he talking about? He wasn't being arrogant saying, for instance, my boat is too heavy or too big to dock here. He was just saying, thank you and left. The second hermit had the exact same expression. He too raised a fist, but to that monk's expression, Jojo said, wow, you can take and give, kill and bring things to life. And he paid his respects. The story ends there. Upon hearing this, you may think, hmm, maybe it was the gesture, gesture, the body language. Perhaps it was the facial expression that made Jaju act the way he did. Perhaps the first monk was still in doubt when he raised his fist and the second monk was more assured. This would be the wrong approach to understanding this case. This is why Wu Men gave us a hint when he basically said, both hermits responded the same way. Why did Jiazhou approve of one and dis disapprove of the other? Where is the flaw? Where is the problem? And that's the key. This is the critical phrase. What is the difference between the first monk and the second monk? What is the difference? Meditate on that like this. Where is the flaw? Where is the error? And pushing this even further, why did the two hermits see through Jiazhou? Harmony. Sorry. The way to try to get a handle on this case is to keep questioning it. If you meditate like this, you will generate the sense of great questioning. If you rely on logic, you will get nowhere. If you think that one hermit is better than the other, you don't have to take, you don't have what it takes to investigate John. If you think that they're equal, you also don't have what it's what what have what it takes to investigate. This is the generosity of woman. He forces you to have nowhere to advance and nowhere to retreat. Eyes like shooting stars. This refer oops. This re refers to Shakyamuni's Buddha's experience when, after <coughs> six years of extreme self-inflicted asceticism, he still had not experienced enlightenment until, ready to give up, he looked up in the sky and saw a shooting star. At that moment, everything dropped away, all attachments, all self-referentiality. He was enlightened. He then understood the workings of causes and conditions. Enlightenment is not something willed, not something gained. If something can be gained or had, you can lose it. Conditions like lightning, the conditions here refer to on that is within you and everything out there. On things in themselves are the wonderful interconnectedness of conditions. The, these connections 
exactly where they need to be. Chen has expressions like two arrows meeting the mid-air, meeting in the mid-air. There's no luck in what they are here. That is how precise and accurate the natural workings of conditions are. A stimulus and a response like an, like an image and its reflection in a mirror. Your true nature is like a mirror reflecting. Does a mirror ever think, perhaps I should reflect this way or reflect that way? An image comes in front of it and it is immediately reflected. In fact, if the mirror is not warped and Warp, warp, and does not have too much dust on it, it reflects exactly what is in front of it. That makes a reflection inaccurate. What, make, what makes a reflection inaccurate, Hazi, is our self-grasping. The blade that kills, the sword that brings life. This blade is not a blade that really kills people. It is the blade of wisdom that cuts through ignorance. Whatever sentient beings need, an awakened person responds right away to whatever is needed at the moment. When I was a young novice, I used to be proud of my meditation experiences and insights. As I mentioned earlier, my teacher, Master Shengyan's way of teaching me, was to simply squash that arrogance. He would often ask me to do a task, then publicly embarrass me or find opportunities to scold me. What did you do that for, you idiot? Everyone would laugh at me as a result. My immediate reaction used to be to reply, you told me to do that. I would argue in my mind about how wrong he was. In truth, he was right. My arrogance needed to be squashed, killed. He reflected exactly what I needed to see, my own attachment. His compassion gave me a life. John teachings can kill and give life. What is killed is your ignorance and attachment. What is brought to life is your wisdom life. There is no fixed way to teach or practice. One can practice in the mountains like a hermit, or one can practice in one's office in daily life. Everything is an opportunity. How are you able to bring your true nature back to life? Are you putting to death your own wisdom life in daily situations? If a challenge comes and you say, here, talk to my hand, I'm just going to ignore you, then that's killing a situation. If you think thus, you definitely don't have what it takes to practice Chan. Now that I have explained the basic gist of the story, what is left is whether you have it or don't. What is it that you need to have? What is it that you don't have? Is it even possible to own it? Is it even possible to lose it? In your own life, why is it that in one situation, one response is accepted and in another, the same response is rejected? Are you killing opportunities in your life or are you experiencing them to bring your wisdom to life? Why is it that when you respond to one thing, to one person it is helpful, but to another it is not so helpful? The way, to the way to understand this case is to apply it to yourself. The single most important thing is your Buddha nature, your potential to be awakened. It is that which animates everything. It is the nature of emptiness, selflessness. Without emptiness, you can't be full. 
this cup is empty because it is made up of everything that is not a cup. Without selflessness, you cannot be who you are now. All the challenges in life are the shooting stars and mirror conditions like lightning. They bring you back to life, bring you closer to your true nature. External circumstances, appearances, your internal judgments and notions, all are like the first that is held up by the hermit. Is your boat able to dock? Or is it perhaps so big there is nowhere it can dock? Are you able to see that these situations are both favorable conditions that kill your ignorance and opportunities to give life to your wisdom? What is the difference between the two monks' response in the story? Take a look at responses that you receive in daily life and your own reactions to them. If you are unable to use the opportunities in life as practice, then ask yourself, <coughs> why is it that all those, although both monks had the same response, one monks was accepted and the other was rejected? Mute me. Hmm? Talk to my cat. Right. Oh, oh, okay. If you are unable to use, oh, sorry. Um, why is it so? Why? Or next time you have vexations, ask yourself, is there, is there? Let these questions exhaust itself <coughs> until you have nowhere to go, nowhere to dock. Then this gong on will come alive. If you are able to see through the situations of life, then you see through the absurdity of Zauzo's words and realize <coughs> that his tongue has no bone in it. You will go beyond his affirmation and denial, having and no having, existing and not existing, present and absent. You will be free. What I love about this koan is the, that Zhao met the hermits um, on equal ground, even though he probably had more stature than they did. Hard to say. I mean, he was traveling around to learn from teachers. Um, and he, even if he had more status, in order to learn, you need to be on equal ground. So. Yeah. Yeah, right. Tim, could you take down the um, text? It's easier to see everybody when it's not there. Thank you. I um I read this koan and I was immediately like flexed. But what? I don't even understand what the question is. And, um, you know, like, you know, I thought, well, the answers were identical. So then I kind of was relating to if I was a Jajo going into these hermits huts, what would be the difference between one and the other? And the only difference would be my own state of mind, I think, when I asked the question and was responding to the answer. I, I mean, I, I was trying to. <laughs> and then I think in my own life, how sometimes I get so darn lost 
uh, like I was this last um, week, um, day of the election, the day after the election, I had all kinds of crazy, angry thoughts going in my head. I was really taken over by all of that. And until I noticed that I was suffering a lot. <laughs> and then I tried all kinds of things not to suffer. You know, I was watching TV. I was ignoring the news. I was, uh, you know, um, just I was doing all kinds of things to try to stop my obsessive thinking. And uh, it got so bad that I actually uh, one night asked for help, which is something I do sometimes when I get stuck. And the next morning I woke up and I realized that my heartfelt intention was to let's say to awaken, but more than that, it's, I wish everybody happiness. I wish a clean planet. I wish, you know, a connection, no, no more conflict. All these things are my deepest intentions. And then I noticed that what I'd been doing was the opposite of those intentions. <laughs> it was really, you know, I was judging and talking in my head and arguing with people. <laughs> and it was the very opposite of what my heart wants. So mm -hmm. once I saw that, I was able to let it go. And I don't know what this has to do with anything. But all I can say is that there were the difference between one day and the next was my um, state of mind and where I was caught. Yeah. Is there? Is there? Is there? Yeah. Am I awake now? <laughs> That's the question. I'm a little uneasy about the idea that he was even that idea that he was at a, uh, a different place. With the second monk, the, with the second hermit, because that again is an explanation. Right. And then, and then we can put it aside and say, oh, I get it, kind of thing. Like, how about I don't know? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's like saying, uh, well, the hermits, like he wrote about, the, one of the hermits was, you know, had more confidence when he put his fist up. You know, like looking for a, a clue like that. Yeah, some hint or, or projecting, more likely projecting something, some difference that you imagine into yeah. it. Yeah. Because it isn't in the text. So you'd have to be, you'd have to be projecting it in. And where that projection comes from is the interesting thing. And part of it comes from our rage to settle something that's confusing or perplexing to us. I've been working because I had a long conversation with someone and they were telling me their story, their stories, and it seemed like they didn't know that they were their stories. Yeah, right. And and it's it's the way things really are, is how they think about it. Yeah. And so it's kind of nice in this that we don't know. Yeah. And oftentimes they'll um, you know, they'll want you to agree with them that the story is true. Right. So, you know, it's like, certainly you can see that blah, 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 that she's being an idiot or you certainly you can see this too, you know, it looks the same to you. Um, and that's, uh, you know, seeking some confirmation. 
And so much anguish was created because in their story, they, they thought that this person was doing something to them for a, you know, reasons that they had figured out. In their head, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny how much we interact with uh, cartoon figures in our head instead of with, you know, being curious about, okay, something's perplexing to us. We immediately assume a motive and uh, project a whole bunch onto it. And instead of just being curious, like, huh, that was not what I expected. Or, oh, that surprised me. Um, or it seems like this is really important to you or whatever, you know, like just this uh, open curiosity, such a, a different way of approaching our interactions. We're always trying was, to figure out what's, what's was, the motive? What's the other person's motive? There was a part there in uh, Gogu's comments uh -huh. where he says, Jajo uh, had practiced for 40 years and still needed to study with other teachers to deepen his practice. If you have had an experience of awakening and continue to practice, you will be very sensitive to your own vexations as they arise. You will know when the self is present and also when it isn't present in others. And that's what I noticed this last week was the vexations and <laughs> the fact that um, I'd kind of gone uh, asleep. Yeah. But you notice that and that's the fruit of practice. Yeah. Most people are just, you know, um, hijacked by it. And they don't even recognize, oh, this is, yeah, this is what's happening. They don't really know that. So I think when we practice is when we really start to become aware, oh, yeah, this is something I'm doing. <laughs> and it's, you know, paradoxically, it's from sitting facing a wall, basically, where every single thing you're experiencing, you, you begin to see as just a projection, like on a movie screen. And, and, and you have a choice. I mean, I felt, I felt when I, you know, kind of saw what was happening that I actually had a choice. I mean, I, you know, I could go back to sleep and, and continue on, or I could just drop it and kind of center into what my true intention is. Right. Yeah. To be awake to that, to be awake to what are the actual circumstances? What do we actually know? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's really challenging because we also have this overlay of our personal interpretation of what it means. Um, also, we live in a world where everyone makes up like pretends that they know. Well, yeah. Every word we hear, like in the media, is someone knowing why someone did something. Or pretending to know. Pretending to know, I would say, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is what we hear day in and day out. People. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it starts in childhood because children are trying to figure out the motives of the, of the big people, you know, like, are they going to are they going to help me are they going to hurt me are they going to feed me are they going to uh, you know neglect me or you know they're trying to figure out what what it what it is that evokes the caregiving motive so that's how it starts and then the adults begin projecting onto the baby motives of the baby and you know they have no idea really but the, and and of children so you know a lot of uh, a lot of projection is happening very, very young, very young.
Can you explain the parent projects the baby onto the baby? Yeah, the, the parent says to the baby, oh, you're hungry. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so the baby's crying. Who knows why the baby's crying? Only the baby knows why the baby's crying. Maybe right. it's not. Maybe it's just a physical release, you know. Um, but the parent immediately begins projecting onto the baby. You know? so, this is a, a good metaphor for a koan. Is a baby crying because we don't have language to right to figure it out? Right. Is there? Is there? That's what the baby says. Is there? Is there? <laughs> yeah, is there? <laughs> yeah. And all the baby could do is like this. <laughs> now, as Flynn always says, those primal questions are, you know, do you see me? You know, do you, are, first of all, are you there? Are you there? Do you see me? Do you choose me? Um, and the baby's, you know, that's, again, a projection onto what the baby's thinking, because who knows? Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but there is that, uh, need for survival. And to do, to do that, the baby has to evoke a caregiving response, which, as we say, is why blind babies have a smile response. So they've never seen a smile, but they have a smile. And it's, it, and it's part of nature's way of evoking caregiving. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so... But we're, but we're constantly doing that, projecting, you know, like we, we see these two monks and we, we just start projecting onto the situation, right? Projecting onto Jojo. He's just being capricious and, you know, um, arbitrary or, you know, like, no, there must be some meaning there. It's, well, what is the meaning? Um, we start right away wrestling with that, you know, start projecting onto the story. So hard not to do that. That's probably why, you know, when you really work with koans, it's more about wearing out your ideas about how to solve the koan or what it, how to respond to it. it, it, it they have to be worn out because you never voluntarily give them up. <laughs> so you sit and you sit and you sit and you sit and you, you know, try, try some response. Th then you get a really bright insight. I know what this means, you know? No, you don't. So you get wrung out, you know? It's so wonderful. Um, because you, you, there's just no place to rest. It's a good thing we're not in a breakout room. Yeah. <laughs> you know those games, people, they, they go inside a room and they have to solve a puzzle in order to get out? The escape rooms. The escape room, yes. We'd be, we'd be SOL. <laughs> I would feel like that. I would, I'd be a complete failure at that. I would be standing there going, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck here. <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me, uh, Peg, of, uh, I don't know, some, I forget what we, what we were doing. We're at Apamata and it was part of a retreat maybe or something. And um, you had us act out koans. Yeah. In other words, we went in little groups and then we each got a, a koan and yeah. then we would read it as if we were, at, we were the actual people you know, act it out. acting that's it way, out. That's the way to work a koan, really. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really interesting because uh, it kind of gave you, you really put you in the story and then you're kind of embodying yeah. what's going on in some weird way. Yeah. So, and part of it is, um, you, I mean, um, is just imagining yourself inhabiting each of those roles. The first monk, you know, Zhao Zhou, the second monk, 
and then woman um, observing this whole story, right? Um, so you you have the opportunity to to place yourself in that situation, in that skin of that person, and it's so interesting how productive that can be. Well, talk about projection. Uh, I remember the koan I had when I looked at it later. I realized that I was um, acting out my own conditioning inside that koan. <laughs> that's basically what we do, right? It's basically, and that's that's part of what makes it more visible to us. Yeah, yeah. It's a strange um, experience working with koans because you're so embarrassed and clumsy and stupid and you know you think you have a bright idea and it's a terrible idea and um and you know and worse you know you sense that the teacher's kind of amused at you you know floundering around like a fish on the beach you know like flopping around so it's it's a very it's very humiliating in a lot of ways which is probably really really good for us because we don't often subject ourselves to those kinds of experiences and frustrating and you get angry and you think they're just being willful about not just saying that's a good answer or, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. All the stuff you go through in your head, I'm never going to get it. Other people can get this con, but I will never get it. I'll just be working at it until the rest of my life. And yeah, it's very, very funny. I'm the stupid one. These, all these, you know, young people in the monastery, they're all going to get this con right away. You know, it was really funny, you know, maybe you just need to be more naive, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe the whole academic career was a mistake. You know, it's so frustrating because you run through all the things that, just all the things that you can possibly run through. And, uh, and you have to exhaust them. I mean, you just, there's no other way around it. You just have to exhaust all of your attempts, all of your conditioning. All, you just have to wear it down until you're completely exhausted and you think I give up, you know, none of this is, none of this means anything. Now you're getting somewhere. <laughs> so I'm imagining, I know Nancy and Harmony have cats, right? And Stephanie and Peg have dogs and they're hearing all this talk and they're quietly resting. Mm. You know, I, uh, <laughs> you know, what must this be to them as they hear, hear us talk and, like, like uh, there was this photo of a Buddha at the Austin Zen Center on the wall. No matter what we talked about, it never changed its expression. It just took it all in. It was such a, a wonderful, it was a, a beautiful wood Buddha from um, Rhode Island School of Design, a giant wood statue. And never changed its expression, no matter how silly we got, how <laughs> wrong we got. <laughs> So that, all, all these pets are lucky because they've been exposed to the Dharma in this lifetime and in their next lifetime, that means a very auspicious oh. life yeah. for them. My cats are going to be royalty. Yeah. <laughs> they already know that, right? Uh, but how, do we, how do we... Oh, go on, Harmony. Oh, I was going to mention, um, Peg, you were talking about, you know, being fueled with so much doubt, like, I'll never get this right. This is just that I'm this, not as smart as everybody else and blah, blah, blah. And that's the committee, the negative, the shadow side. And I've discovered how, um, I mean, I've journaled forever since I was a little girl, but it's just so much more comforting today as the further I evolve 
and I, I acknowledged that negative part of me and the shadow side of me, I used to beat myself up because I, I would say I'm, I'm throwing up on the paper. I'm vomiting all of my negative shit on the paper. But by the time I'm done writing, I've, I've, I've resolved a lot of it. And I've, I've come to some peace about what I just wrote. But I had some shame around the fact that I was writing all this negative stuff. But that was a part of me. And it was like when I got it out onto the paper, I became the witness. And I was able to look at that. But it's like, it's a daily thing. Like I will just, I'll just, I assume that that'll go on for the rest of my life. And I, I think that's what you're confirming, right? It's just like, it's well, yeah, of- absolutely. Your condition doesn't go away any more than your fingerprints go away, but you don't spend your life staring at your fingerprints. So what, what you recognize is, oh yeah, this is the background pattern of things that, uh, that can, um, if, if I allow it to, they can take over. But I, as long as I can see where, what it is, I see, oh, that would be the conditioning. Yeah, that'd be the conditioning that would make me feel much worse about myself or would have doubts about whether I could do this or, yeah. And, and so, um, so uh, like um, that energy can be used productively and beneficially. Yeah. Just we, ha- we are not taught how to do that. Um, so uh, all of the energy of the conditioning it's bound up in the conditioning. It's creating that pattern. Mm-hmm. So, Stuck right here. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, right. fortunately, I was never taught to write, Dear Diary, today my best friend made fun of my shoes. Mm-hmm. It's never like that. <laughs> <laughs> Writing is a wonderful way to process experience. Um, it just really is. Um, and to see on paper, what your conditioning looks like. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. I One thing I noticed with the journaling I did over, say, a 10-year period, if I go back and read, I keep finding some of the same issues coming up in sort of slightly different ways. Yeah, they're thematic, right? Exactly. And and then every once in a while, I would read something, i go, damn, I'm pretty wise. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but it didn't, but it, you know, you know, the next, you know, the next year and the next book, it'd be the same issue would pop up again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think of this as, you know, throughout his lifetime, the Buddha saw Mara. I mean, right up until hours before he died, Mara was present. So all that conditioning is going to continue to be present. But as the Buddha said, I see you. And for one who's established in this practice, you can have no purchase. So, mm. you know, so Mara goes away sad and disappointed, which I have so much better than like some big fight or battle or something like that, where the Buddha vanquishes I mean, just by being seen. He goes away sad and disappointed. But do you, do you think of it as, as Mara keeping him like in tune? No. That, that Buddha had some need for him. You, you don't see that. No. You think I, it was- I see Mara as a projection of conditioning that the Buddha would encounter over and over and over again. That self-doubt, you know, like Mara says to him, you should just die right now because, you know, you've just got suffering ahead of you. So you should just die right now. Um, and the Buddha's like, I don't think so. You know, I see you and uh, I still haven't said goodbye to my disciples. So, Yeah. And that was at the end, yeah. At the very end. All those 40 years of teaching. 
Yeah. So the conditioning doesn't go away, but our relationship to it goes away. I mean, it doesn't, it changes so that we're not, um, I think, um, what I would call entranced by it. You know, we're not in a trance state that's created by our conditioning anymore. So that's why the Buddha could say, I see you. Yeah. Well, I guess that would be the same as some situation that at a previous time in our life would have brought a lot of anger. Right. But, but now we can, um, we can just see it as, oh, this is a situation that would that would have brought me anger, but now I'm just able to see it as that. Maybe, but we also see our anger. So, yeah. Oh, this makes me angry, you know. Um, but we are not um, hijacked by it. Our intention isn't hijacked. Our actions aren't hijacked. Our speech isn't hijacked. You know, even our thinking isn't hijacked by it. We don't spin it. We don't. You know. Um, so, so we we recognize. Oh, this is anger arising. We recognize that and we, we immediately have um i think that uh connection with our intention and aspiration in this situation what's my aspiration well if i have a vow that's pretty easy it's to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings so so that part's easy then the question is how do you do that so uh, instead of how do I um, how do I express my rage so this person knows exactly how angry I actually am, <clears throat> right? So I think of it as like it's not suppression. It's not that you now are able to suppress your emotions. It's that they don't regulate you. They're just weather. You know, it's weather. Like a thought coming through is a bit of weather. An emotion coming through is a bit of weather. A physical sensation coming through as a bit of weather. It's a transitory phenomena. So once you realize that, it's like, oh, this arises, also ceases, and you know, stays here as long as the causes and conditions that support it are present. Four years in some cases. Or like Mercury going retrograde and direct again. Right. Okay. There is a thing to that. And Mars and well all of that. Well, I think we keep getting uh, bigger challenges as we meet the challenges of the sort of previous level. So we level up like in a game, you know, <clears throat> and we'll find ourselves triggered by something else. And we think, damn it, I have a practice, you know, like I shouldn't be triggered by this. This okay. shouldn't have taken over my life for so long, you know? Um, and then you realize, oh, this is just the next level of challenge for this practice. Meetings, you know, even more uh, triggers that are deeper or more powerful. I so. would certainly have to say that uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of last week, that was, you know, I could see it, but I couldn't do anything about it. it yeah, was really, just it was, it was distressing, you know, to be able to watch it and not, you know, like Gail was saying, you know, it's just like. What? Stop. Yeah, and you can't titrate your exposure because things were like minute by minute cliffhangers. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I think a lot of people got caught up in that. Um, it, it was interesting to me that um, on Wednesday night, our neighborhood book club met, uh, which not very many of us, and, you know, we meet in a side yard or on a back patio. And 
Uh, my next door neighbor is a Presbyterian minister who's a therapist and also uh, a meditation teacher, sort of in the John Cabot Zinn uh -huh. School of Meditation. And she was upset. <laughs> and so it was like, I almost immediately felt better. You know, <laughs> that it was like I could forgive myself because she was upset too. <laughs> well, there was a lot hanging in the balance. There was great peril for the nation and the planet hanging in the balance. So, and there was a lot of intimidation that was happening in the, in where they were counting votes. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that was very worrying to me is that um, there was so much abuse and intimidation of the counters of the, you know, inside. You mean like when people were knocking on the glass? Well, no, I mean, even inside the room. So in there. where they we're counting, they had Oh, the six foot away people. They they had Republican observers and they had Democratic observers. And then they had just um, uh, like observer observers that were, it's not that they were nonpartisan, but they didn't, they couldn't intervene. The Republicans and the Democrats who were watching the vote counting could intervene and challenge a ballot. And so they were... Um, there was a moment where the mood in the room turned. I heard an interview with a woman who was there in one of the places where they were counting. And she said there were 500 Republicans, 500 Democrats watching these and, you know, one at every table. And, and they, um, and she said there was a moment where everything turned in the room. And I think it was the moment where things started to shift towards Biden. And, uh, and then the uh, all hell broke loose and the um, Republican watchers were, shouting at the well, people who are trying to count the votes and saying, yelling at them, you're a Democrat and um, threatening them. And some of them had to be removed. And then the people started pounding on the windows. And it was, she said it was really, this person. I, was, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was. I thought, I thought everyone behaved. No, they did not behave. And other no, than I saw the knocking on the window. Yeah, no, inside the room, they had to escort people out and it was very abusive. And so this woman who was just a the neutral observer who couldn't intervene um, said it became quite frightening for the people in the room um, because there was there was no um, there was no one coming to restrain these people. So, yeah, so it was that was the thing that really worried me as I started to see how, you know, how far they would go. Yeah, I, I was not aware of that, you know, like Kim beyond, you know, people beating on, on windows. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, after having some time to step back and look, I think that the heart of my difficulty was, was expectations that I just was appalled and just couldn't believe that, you know, there's 70 million people in this country who think that man is doing a good job. I don't think they necessarily even think that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some but, of them are, are single issue voters and it's about abortion. Right, but still, you know, just the, you know, even a, even a single issue, I have, I personally have difficulty seeing it outweigh everything that, um, everything else he had done. Oh, of course. But, um, but I mean, you know, still, you know, it, it was it was my um, expectations and then the fear that that um, 
<laughs> so that, was, that would prevail. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, um, really heartbreaking how much influence a person who's that self-involved could have over other people. That, I mean, to me, it's just like this person doesn't care anything for anyone except himself. Yeah. Even his own children. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't care for anybody except himself. Not even Americans. Well, and that was the thing that was surprising to me. Like, how does he get a following? How right. do you get a following that way? I mean, it, I don't understand it. How do you get a following? I don't understand it either. My parents are heavily involved with the the Republican. Um, and I had put my foot down very, very clear with them. Like, I don't want to have a discussion about this. And I... Um, and that's been good. It's been good. I've had to like remind them a couple of times, but I wouldn't have been this polite about it like five years ago or even last year. I mean, I've come like, like I'm like, wow, who am I? I'm, I'm observing myself a lot better. But I was talking to my mom today and she was just beside herself. And I, I think maybe because, well, like, she was talking to me and I won in a sense, like my political views won. And so maybe she felt down about that, but you know, she was going into all the conspiracy theory stuff and it's, it's not my mom. You know, my mom's just sweet little old Christian lady, but she's just, she's gotten sucked into all of that. And it's, it's, it was really, um, I mean, I, I didn't talk. I just listened to her go on and on. And for a second, I took my phone away from my ear and I let her talk. And and then she was done. And it it's still, I mean, I'm I'm flesh and blood. And it's it's really hard to see a monster with a huge mental illness manipulating people and a bully and creating so much bulliness in our society and to have other have people that vote for him and still oppose being bullied and like we don't want my kids to get bullied or our grandkids to get bullied and um they just like hold on to those single ticket type things and then they get really narrow-minded in it um and all of this to say is i didn't really get too sucked into the whole election. I just sat back and I have friends from other countries that would send me updates. Like, <laughs> oh, go Biden. <laughs> um, just being able to be present for my mother and allow her to live her own experience and not try to have my own agenda. But yeah. Peg, you had mentioned intention. Like what, what are, what's motive? of having the conversation or what's the intention. And I think there's the part that we just read. I see you, I hear you. And some people just want to hear, you know, they want to be acknowledged that their opinion is worthy, that they have a right to feel the way they do. Don't push it on me, but you can have it. but I see you and I hear you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is so important because 
sometimes people are afraid that if they do that, they're giving ground or they're somehow betraying their own values. But that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. uh, to really listen and to really understand people who have very, very different views from your own is not to abandon your own understanding of the world or your own position or your own um, sense of how, the way things are, but it is a way to form a connection that is the only way that people ever come to any better understanding. Like we do that together. And so until the barrier of sort of ego is dissolved, you can't get there. You just can't get there. But all of the stories of people like white, serious white supremacists who have gotten turned, they've been turned by relationships. And, uh, and by, not by relationships where people argued them out of their views, but, but relationships where people were kind to them. Yeah, I, I'm listening to you, Harmony, and, uh, you know, and Donna, and I'm, I'm thinking of um, the email that Lori uh, sent out recently where she talked about fear. And um, I related to that because for the past four years, I didn't really was able to articulate, but I've been, I think we've been traumatized, a lot of people and living in fear, you know, for what's the next thing that's going to happen. You know, what's the next assault on the things that I'm holding, you know, um, dear, you know, and, um, you know, and, and so I, I, maybe our counterparts, maybe the people that voted for Trump are feeling in a sense that same fear um, because they're believing things. They really are believing things and they feel that it's threatened, you know? And I know for me, when I've really been afraid and I have a husband who is on the opposite side, <laughs> but when he doesn't argue it out of me and I am able to express it, and then he just reaches over and pats me on the shoulder. I mean, it just, it just takes it all, you know, all down, you know, he doesn't always do that. Okay. But <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying that when we can do that for, for another, I, I think that's probably the, um, the most wholesome thing we can do. The most loving thing we can do really. Well, it creates the potential for deeper understanding and intimacy. Yeah. I suspect he's going to do something every day uh -huh. to keep us on and never, he'll never concede. I don't think he'll just uh -uh. every day he'll, he'll fire okay. someone or change some, do some executive order or do something. And even the next four years, he's not going to recede into the background. That's not his personality. He needs to I don't be. No, I think he's going to go into a depression. Yeah. You think so? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be on the barricades. I think he's going to go into a depression, and that and people will try to cheer him up by you know these rallies. Mm. Oh, feed his ego some more. Yeah. Yeah. That's his obsession is with being a loser. Yeah. That was his father's thing, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And he wanted to prove him wrong. Yeah. One of those odder things that I have read about 
what might happen next with Trump is that he'll be facing so many lawsuits. Even if he gets a federal pardon, there's still lots of other cases pending that he might leave the country mm -hmm. to That's avoid prosecution. Yeah. So that would be interesting to have him out of the country and yet all these people who are still um, believers, be interesting to see how that works if such a thing happened. I, I think he might be uh, tempted to go back on television as a celebrity um, pundit. And um, he just dies. Kind of wreak, wreak <laughs> whatever havoc he can, you know, from the sidelines. <laughs> yeah, they've talked about forming Trump TV and certainly Fox, he's been so offended by Fox of late that, um, you know, I, I could, if he's, if he's got the money, maybe he could do that. Oh, I think he's pretty broke, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he stole all the United States money. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, he's going to suck money out of the defense fund. 60% of what people donate is going to go directly in his pocket. But I got this tweet from... million dollars in debt. Oh, wow. Um, it's a Donald Trump tweet. I don't know how real it is, but it looks pretty official. If Biden somehow manages to win this election, you won't see me again. I'll simply leave the country. You see that? <laughs> oh, my. From your lips to God's ears, that's all I can say. <laughs> well, I, I, for one, uh, after I was able to let go of my obsessive negativity, and able to relax, um, I actually was enjoying feeling not frightened for about a day or two, you know what I mean? Not worried about what Trump would do next, but just relieved, just relieved, you know? Uh, and uh, relieved from my own obsessing, uh, basically. Is yeah, because he sort of lived rent-free in our heads for four years. I mean, <laughs> occupying most of our waking breath, you know? And so this is where that ends. We don't have to give <laughs> any more space in our heads. That's very relieving. <laughs> I think Kim's right. There's... Thinking, what has he tweeted now? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's relieving. What's next? <laughs> is there? Is there? <laughs> is there? Mm -hmm. Or is it? Is there? Is there? <laughs> yeah. Is there? So, yeah, there's still plenty of suspense left. The runoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's plenty of suspense left. This has been such an enormous psychodrama for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... So the world of the koans is our world too. We have our own real world koans. That's what Joko used to always ask. What's your real world koan right now? Uh -huh. So, and there's always one going on, right? <laughs> yeah. How do you live in the midst of fear really? Or, or um, a challenge or a situation that's... Uh... Whatever the circumstances are, how do you 
Um, you know, how do you live from vow in whatever circumstances present themselves? Right. I started asking the question, what do I want? In a lot of situations, and it's given me a chance to get clearer of I, I, I know what I want. So the fear is irrelevant as long as I can get through it. What do I want? Exactly. What do I want? That was my question. <laughs> that was, it really was. It's like, what do I really, really want? And I found out that what I really wanted was not what was happening in my head with all the, <laughs> not, not what you were creating. Uh, not what I was creating. I, I, you know, I want peace. I want connection. I want, um, uh, you know, us all to respect each other. Well, I wasn't doing any of that in my head. I was doing the opposite of it, directed out at Trump and all of his supporters. That's what it's I was sort, doing. Sort of like you, um, you, you want a romantic comedy, but you put a horror film in the DVD yeah. clip for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I always ask myself, why did I want myself to have this experience in particular, you know? <laughs> now I have dread. Why did I want that? <laughs> your head. Do, do people think about happiness anymore? Is that gone out of style, do you think? That's my heartfelt wish for everybody, uh, Kim. So I guess I better start um, being happy. I think the understanding is that happiness is an ephemeral emotional state. Yeah. And people are uh, more interested in joy, which is an underlying, um, I think, quality of, of life. So. You can, you can you can be in the middle of a funeral and have joy. You don't have happiness. So happiness comes and goes, and um, and maybe happiness is is related to how things, when things turn out just the way you want them to be, which is always temporary. <laughs> yeah. And there's that factor that they're going to change, so you worry about even though. Right. You, even though you're in the midst of it. You got the raise, but you might get fired. It's a zoom bombing cat. This cat yes. loves the zoom bomb. I want to pet Nancy when he cat. hears a happiness. He said, "Let me come in." Oh, <laughs> he loves to be on Zoom. It's a kitten. Yes. Hello, little <laughs> kitten. Yes. Isn't he adorable? Adorable. <laughs> I want to pet a furry, furry body. <laughs> Well, here we are getting from, you know, ancient Chinese koan to political situation today. That's a pretty good jump. But I think it's about all anybody can think about right now. Talk about. Yeah, it's, it's good just to be with like minds and to find a way of having some serenity through discussing it with unlike minds. Yeah, I think you, you have to understand. I, I mean, and I said this when, um, when Trump was elected, you know, as crushed as we felt, that's the way those people who voted for him felt when Obama got elected. Uh -huh. And they thought the world was going to hell and they thought the country was going to end. And, you know, um, by any measure, they should have re realized what happened, um, but they didn't. I have compassion for the way they feel. I don't have much compassion for the way they think. 
change anything about that, you know, except yeah. through, except mm -hmm. through love. That's the only way. And it's just, you know, I put it in the yard as a sign. <laughs> it's like, that's the only way. A yard sign about it. On that. It's right out of the Dhammapada. And so true. We it's, are. it's your love for your parents that has the, is the only potential for them to somehow expand their view. They're not going to be argued out of it. Mm -mm. Yeah. So, well, I don't know what this recording is going to do for future generations, but. These <laughs> 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 they were supposed to be talking about a colon, and all they could talk about was the election. The <laughs> colon, right? This colon. is the colon. How do we? How do we practice? How do we um, keep in touch with our deepest heartfelt intention for the world in the midst of this type of challenge? You know, that's right. Yeah. I get, you said the love is going to change uh, things, and I just want to say it in a different way because it, it, I don't know, it makes it in like a different way of looking at it. Is like our vibration of love. If we stay on a high frequency of vibration, if we maintain a consistent source of love and, and radiate that, then it will affect other people. It's just when we get knocked down and we start all of that community stuff going on, I'm not going to figure this out. And da, da, da. When we get right back on there, I want to stay up here. So that way I affect other people. That's how I think change happens and the change that I want. That's the what I want. <laughs> but I think we're going to see more, you know, things shift, but we've got to be able to encourage each other and, and, you know, love makes love changes things. Absolutely. Stay in my love car. Keep driving. <laughs> well, this is great. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Week ahead. We, it's going to be a week of processing and integrating, I think. Big shift. Thank you, everybody. This, um, I think we need each other, you know, to be able yeah. to keep on that, that love energy yeah. level, you know. Thank you. Part of what this, this practice together is about. You know? Yes. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.